This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. It's Zoomer Radio's Theater of the Mind with Frank Proctor. Open your mind as we fill your head with amazing thrills, chills, <laughs> and laughs. Theater of the Mind, the best love programs from radio's golden age, only on Zoomer Radio. Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor. Well, thank you, and welcome to the show. Tonight, we visit with Harold Perry in the role of the great Gildersleeve. Now, I've spoken many times about his mastery of the bellicose character and thought tonight I'd take another tack and tell you a little bit about the writing of the show. Writer John Waden used plot arcs by which to provide continuity between episodes in contrast to the usual sitcom practice of resolving the situation in 30 minutes a major plot point is introduced in one episode and may not fully be resolved for several episodes. The situation would be part of the plot in the weekly episodes until it was resolved, although the weekly episodes stand on their own as far as stories are concerned. The plot arc technique has also been used with great success by Waden's grandson, Josh Waden, creator of Buffy the Vampire Slayer, Firefly, and Dollhouse. And the sponsor, Kraft, was really behind their star. One season starts with Gildy writing a song that can be published if he can find a good title for it. Well, Kraft put up cash as a prize, totaling $50,000, with four weekly first prizes of $1,000 each and an additional 5000 for the grand prize winner, whose song title is finally chosen. Now, of course, Gildy finds an occasion to sing the song in each of the next few episodes as well as using it to woe his or woo his current flame, Nurse Milford. The song is filled with sap and sentiment and showcases not only the vocal talents of Harold Perry, but the closeness and support that he receives from his friends, the Jolly Boys. Listeners of the program will recognize several situations that carry over several episodes that become a story of their own. Now, this not only draws listeners back week after week, but gives the town of Summerfield an extra realism to a place that many people know but doesn't really exist. So, let's get to tonight's episode, Marjorie's Boy Troubles, first aired in 1945. Kraft presents The Great Gildersleeve. <laughs> Cheese Company, makers of parquet margarine and a complete line of famous quality food products, presents Harold Perry as the Great Gildersleeve. Kraft brings you the Great Gildersleeve every week at this time, written by John Wheaton and Sam Moore, with music by Claude Swayton. Now for the Great Gildersleeve. On a fine May morning, he steps out on his veranda to survey his property and, incidentally, see what his new neighbor is up to across the street. He finds his nephew, Leroy, returning from reconnaissance. Leroy? Yeah? Come here a minute. What do you want? What's going on over there? What are those men doing? 
Oh, they're gardeners. One of them's cutting down the hedge. The hedge? What for? I don't know. Mr. Bullard just told me he wanted to cut down, that's all. He said he couldn't see. Oh, he did, did he? Why, George, if he cuts down his hedge, I'm going to let mine grow up. I'm not going to have Bullard spying on me. He's not spying on anybody, Unc. He's just trying to fix the place up. Yeah. It's going to be swell. Mr. Bullard says he's going to have those old barberry bushes ripped out and have all new planting there. Rhododendrons. He's going to fix it up swell. Oh, yes, is he? Well, as a matter of fact, I've been thinking of doing some fixing up around this place. Yes. Yeah, I know. You keep talking, but you never I do... mean it. Are those bushes there in front of the porch? Those barberry bushes. Never did like those. Too scraggly. You ought to dig them out. All those? Certainly. I think it would look better with something else in there. Might decide to put in some, well, some rhododendrons, maybe. Yes. Why not? That'd be great. Well, I guess I'll be going over to see... Leroy. <laughs> yeah? While you're resting, my boy. Yeah? Out in the garage to the left of the workbench, you will find a spading fork. Bring it. She. <laughs> yes, by George, we may not be millionaires here. We may not be able to afford a staff of gardeners. But that's no reason we can't have this place looking just as well as the Bullards. You're not handling the fork right, Leroy. I'm not? No. You show me. I don't need to show you. Just do as I say. Throw your weight behind it. Why doesn't he throw his weight behind it? (laughs) Confound it, Leroy. You're not trying. I am so. Don't just peck at it. Here, give me that. Okay. No, you keep it. (laughs) Keep trying. For corn's sake. Hey, here comes Mrs. Ransom. Oh. Good morning, Throckmorton. Uh, hello, Leela. Isn't it a lovely morning? I saw you were gardening, too, so I just had to run over. Hello, Leroy. Having fun. Huh. <laughs> Say, you're looking mighty cute this morning, Leela. It's my gardening hat. I just love gardening, don't you? Love it. Keep digging, Leroy. <laughs> What are you doing here anyway, Throckmorton? I'm digging out all these barberry bushes. He's digging them. Mm, my, that's quite a job. You're not kidding. These things have roots. What we need is more manpower here, Leroy. Where's Bertie? You won't get her. She started spring cleaning. Well, uh, where's Marjorie then? I don't know. Up in her room, I suppose. You go up and tell her to come down. Okay. She spends entirely too much time in her room. Go up and tell her, Leroy. That boy has the soul of a train announcer. Throckmorton, I noticed Mr. Bullard is fixing up his place over there, too. So I noticed. Well, I believe he's even got a man digging out his barberry bushes. Yeah. Well, monkey see, monkey do. Don't you like Mr. Bullard, Throckmorton? I thought him rather charming the only time I met him. Mr. Bullard is a snob, and you may tell him I said so, Leela. Him and his DeSoto. I don't understand. Well, I won't go into details. But Judge Hooker and I tried to pay him a neighborly visit the other day when he was moving in his furniture, and the guy was too busy to speak to us. Well, of course, there's nothing worse than moving. That's all right. He needn't speak to us if he don't want to. But just wait till he wants a favor. Wait till they really move into that house, and he wants to get his water turned on. Ha! 
you'll darn well wait his turn. He'll be lucky if he gets water by July. He'll be lucky if he doesn't have to bring it in on donkey back. In goat skins. Oh, here's Marjorie. Good morning, Marjorie. Hello, Mrs. Ransom. Uncle Mort Leroy said you told me to come downstairs. That's true, my dear, I did. Well, here I am. What do you want? I want you to get outdoors. Get some fresh air. Enjoy yourself. Here it is, a nice day. Is that what you got me down here for? Well, I think it's bad for you to stay cooped up in your room all the time. Your uncle's right, Marjorie. It's not good to stay indoors all the time. You're looking pale. Yes. Look at Mrs. Ransom. Look at the color in her cheeks. Why don't you be like her? Uncle Mort, you won't let me use rouge, and you know it. What? (laughs) (laughs) Now, my dear, I'm afraid you misunderstood. I just don't want you locking yourself up in your room all the time. Will you kindly tell me what else there is to do in this town? Well, there are lots of things. Name one. Well, you could do a little gardening. I loathe and despise gardening. Oh, but gardening can be fun. Now, Leroy's been helping me here. Yes, and why do you think he's hiding upstairs right now? Why the little... Here's Leroy nine. Yeah, you see? Hey, everybody, listen to this. Dear diary. Leroy! What is there worth living oh, for? There's not a boy in this town you can have an intelligent discussion with. Leroy! All the cute ones are in the army and all the intelligent ones are... Leroy, give me that! Leroy! <laughs> Okay. Leroy, I hate you. What did I do? I think you're all hateful, all of you. Well, Marjorie, honey, don't honey me. If there's one thing I can't stand, What's the matter with her? She's going up to her room again, Unc. Yes, young man, and you're going up to yours. Oh. And wait for me there. Gosh, Unc. I didn't know I was doing anything wrong. Just found the diary lying there and... I thought you'd like to hear it, so I just... Okay, I'll go. I'm sorry, Leela. Marjorie should have apologized. Oh, that's all right, Throckmorton. She's not a shelf, that's all. I'm worried about that girl. I don't understand her. All she does is stick around the house and mope and read. Too much reading isn't good for a girl at that age. It gives them ideas. I wouldn't worry. I wouldn't worry, Throckmorton. She'll forget it all. Gracious, I've forgotten every word I ever read. Uh, tell me, how old is Marjorie? Why, uh, let's see. She's, uh, 16, I guess. I don't know. Well, no wonder. No wonder what? Down where I come from, Throckmorton, girls start getting married when they're 14. Huh? And at 15, they worry about being old maids. <laughs> I don't see what that's got to do with Marjorie. Did it ever occur to you that she might be human? Huh? Think it over, Throckmorton. (laughs) (laughs) My little Marjorie. I wonder if Leela's right. Uh, Mr. Gilsey, that Mr. Bullard from across the street's here. Mr. Bullard, what does he want? I don't know, sir. Shall I tell him you stepped out? No, send him in. I've been waiting for this. <laughs> this is the moment. Yes, sir. <laughs> he thinks he's going to get his water turned on. He's telling that again. Oh, come right in, Mr. Bullard. Mr. Gilsey says he's been waiting for you. I didn't tell her to say that. Well, well, Mr. Gildersleeve. Oh, good day. Excuse me, I'll just get my vacuum clean out of your way here. 
I uh, just dropped over, Mr. Gildersleeve, to say that I'm afraid I owe you an apology. Oh? I don't know what for. For my behavior the other evening when you dropped by. I'm afraid perhaps I seemed a little abrupt. I didn't notice anything. Well, I didn't mean to. But uh, I'd had the devil's own time. You know, moving day, worst darn thing in the world. The wife usually takes care of those sort of things, but, uh, uh, say, this is a nice place you've got here. Well, it's not as large as some. Well, I like it. Comfortable. Shows real taste. None of this modern stuff. Oh, thanks. Uh, will you sit down? Well, I don't care if I do. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> I, uh, don't suppose you'd smoke a cigar. Don't care if I do. (laughs) I like a man who smokes a cigar. I never trust a man who doesn't. Mr. Gildersleeve, I can see that you and I are going to get along together. I'll tell you after I've smoked the cigar. (laughs) So, as I say, we haven't got the place straightened out yet, but we're moving in today anyway, the whole kit and caboodle. Well, I hope you and your wife are going to like it here in Summerfield. Oh, we'll like it. I was brought up in this town, you know. Uh, the only one I'm concerned about is my oldest boy, Marshall. He's been going to prep school in the East, and now he's switching to public school, and... Well, it'll do him good, I say. He may knock some notions out of his head. How old did you say he was? Seventeen. Very difficult age. You're telling me. I have a niece here who's sixteen. Well, well, that's fine. Maybe we can get them together one of these days, huh? Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. <laughs> well, mighty glad to meet you, Mr. Gildersleeve. Mighty glad to meet you, Mr. Bullard. <laughs> I expect we'll be seeing a lot of each other now that we're neighbors. Yes, indeed. Now that you know the way, come often. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'll tell you something. The first time I saw you across the street, I didn't think I was going to like you. I'm going to tell you something. I didn't think I was going to like you either. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it just goes to show. Oh, uh, by the way. Yes? You said you were with the water department, didn't you? Yeah, I'm in charge of it. Well, I feel like a fool. I forgot to do anything about getting my water turned on. Oh, don't give it a thought. The whole thing will be attended to. Uh, You sure you don't mind? Mr. Bullard, it'll be a distinct pleasure. I'll even waive the customary deposit. (laughs) Ah, nice fellow. Yes, by George, as nice a fellow as you'd want to meet. And with all that money. Mind if I dust around you, Mr. Gilsley? Oh, go right ahead, Bertie. I'll just sit here and enjoy my cigar. Yes, sir. Given to me by Mr. Bullard. Custom made. He buys them in lots of 500. He seems real nice, that Mr. Bullard. Nice of fellows you'd want to meet. Rich, too. <sighs> Tells me he has a son Marjorie's age. Is that a fact? I ain't seen him around. Well, the family's not arriving till this afternoon. <sighs> <laughs> Our little Marjorie's growing up, you know, Bertie. Well, it happens to all of them. Yes, I suppose she'll be getting married one of these days. <laughs> You think a man off to that bullet family, Mr. Gilfleet? Yeah. Well, she could do worse. Yeah, I guess they got plenty of money if that's what you want. Oh, I wouldn't want anything myself, Bertie. Any kind of financial settlement or anything, that would be out. But I might go and visit them now and then after they were married. <laughs> I bet. <laughs> uh, George, they'd make a handsome couple, you know it. 
You ain't even laid eyes on the boy yet, Mr. Gillsleeve. Well, if he's anything like his father, what a wedding. Champagne, flowers by the carload, a three-piece orchestra, articles in all the newspapers. And there I'd be in my full-dress suit giving away the bride. And me in a new silk uniform giving away wedding cake. <laughs> <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> Let's rejoin the great Gildersleeve. He spent some happy hours dreaming of a marriage of convenience for his niece Marjorie, which would include a convenient old age for himself. Now it occurs to him to take steps to make his dream an actuality, so we find him arriving at Peavy's drugstore to consult the Oracle. Well, where's Peavy? An early summer nap, I guess. Oh, Peavy. Peavy. <laughs> Sorry to disturb you, Peavy. Oh, you, Mr. Gildersleeve. Huh. <laughs> what can I do for you this afternoon? Peavy, how do you think you're going to get anywhere in business if you spend your time asleep in the back room? You'll never get rich that way. Well, not. You wouldn't say that. <laughs> I suppose you're going to say you weren't asleep. Well, no, I wouldn't say that. I was leaning back in the chair out there, and I may have dropped off just for a minute. Uh, what time is it? Three o'clock. That room must be stuffy. I went out there about 12.30. <laughs> well, sir, what can I do for you? Well, as a matter of fact, I wasn't going to buy anything, Peavy. But seeing I woke you up... Well, you don't have to buy anything, Mr. Gildersleeve. I'm much obliged to you. Well, I just wanted to talk to you. I am... Uh, I'm thinking of marrying my niece, Marjorie. Well, I hope you'll be very happy. What did you say? Peavy, I'm think of, thinking of marrying her off to, to somebody else. Mm, I was going to say you're a little old for her. <laughs> now I think of it, she's a little young to get married, isn't she? Well, I don't know. Her mind seems to be full of nothing but nonsense about love. Maybe the only way to cure it is to let her get married. That makes you think that'll cure it. Well, a married woman soon learns that life is a matter of bringing up children and running a household, not dreaming about romance. She does? Well, gosh, doesn't she? Mr. Gildersleeve, last week I caught Mrs. Peavy cutting a picture of Sonny Tufts out of a magazine. <laughs> you don't say. In fact, and I gave her quite a talking to. My gracious woman, I said, why don't you pick someone your own age, like Barry Fitzgerald, I said. And she said he was too old for her. Made me kind of shy about the whole thing up. Well, I'm tired of arguing with Marjorie. Let her argue with her husband. Have you uh, anyone in mind, or are you just looking around? Well, I understand Rumson Bullard has a boy about 17, my new neighbor. I thought you weren't speaking to him. Listen, Rumson Bullard is a fine fellow, and don't let anybody tell you different. I want to see the cigar he gave me this morning. No. Well, he's got this boy, Peavy. Now, he and Marjorie, they're both about the same age, and they live right across the street from each other. The only problem is how to get them together. Mr. Gildersleeve, I'd say all you have to do is just let nature take its course. Nature? That's no way. No, I wouldn't say that. <laughs> Nature's a powerful force, Mr. Gildersleeve. Look at Niagara Falls. Drip, drip, drip for 3,000 years, but she made it. <laughs> I don't want Marjorie to wait 3,000 years, Peavy. 
Besides, if I just let nature take its course, how do I know that Marjorie won't marry some fellow that plays a saxophone and hasn't got a dime? You, you never know how a woman's mind is going to work. Mr. Gildersleeve, you said it. <laughs> well, what am I going to do, Peavy? Don't ask me. Ask a woman. But you've been through all this. I mean... Mr. Gildersleeve, I don't know anything about women. I just married one. <laughs> Anyway, what I'm trying to tell you, Leela, is that I think you're right. Marjorie ought to get married, and I've picked out the man. Oh, Throckmorton, how exciting. Who is he? Rumson Bullard's older boy. I was wrong about Bullard. Nice family. Well, how old is the boss? Seventeen. That's a little young, of course. Yeah, Marjorie's known boys her own age before, and they've never even tried to hold her hand. Really? George William Hungerford asked me to marry him on his 17th birthday. Gosh, I had to help him a little. Well... <laughs> I may have to help out Bullard's boy. Oh, you can't do it, silly. Marjorie's the only one that can help him. Well, how? How did you get George William Hungerford to pop the question? Don't you wish you knew, Throckmorton? <laughs> well, was George William the first one that asked you? Of course he was. Oh, no, wait a minute. He wasn't either. Mercy, I'd forgotten all about poor Custis Dupree. Yeah, well, what happened to Custis? He was the first one. His voice cracked in the middle of it. Well, look, Leela, what I want to know is how you brought these fellows to the point. Well, now, let me see. Custis was easy. I just dared him to kiss me. But George William was more difficult. He was simply mad about horseback riding. Well, what's that got to do with it? Made things very complicated. He used to take me out riding, but every time we'd be riding along nice and cozy, side by side, and he'd start to get serious, that horse of his would rear up and gallop off down the path. Well, then why didn't you make George Williams stay home and sit in the parlor? He was hopeless in the parlor. Tongue-tied? And handcuffed. But I... <laughs> figured it out. One day we were out riding. I made my horse run away. I galloped away from George William, and as soon as I was out of sight, I got off and gave him a slap, and off he went for home. George William? No, the horse. When George William caught up with me, I told him I'd been thrown. Leela, you're a devil. I suppose you cried, huh? No, no, I was brave. I don't look my best when I cry. <laughs> anyway, he picked me up. He was terribly strong and just, just swung me up on the saddle and then he got up behind me and we rode home. But what made him propose? Well, my goodness, Throckmorton, he had his arms around me for 14 miles. <laughs> Bye, George. Let's go horseback riding sometime, Leela. <laughs> What for? Well, I... You're right. <laughs> Why go horseback riding unless you're hopeless in the parlor? Come here, Leela. Strathmore! Huh? What's the matter? I'm afraid you've forgotten what you came over for. It's Mr. Bullard's boy that needs the help, remember? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Although if he's anything like you, Marjorie will need it. <laughs> Ah, uh, Leela, I've always been a gentleman. Well, I suppose as Yankees go. Gosh, I hope Bullard's boy don't need anything as complicated as a runaway horse to get him started. But if that's what he needs, by George, he'll have it.
Bertie. Supper smells good. Shoulder wrap, Mr. Gillsleeve. Mighty funny, all of a sudden, all the lambs got shoulders, none of them got legs. Well, the legs have gone to war, Bertie. Uh, where's Marjorie? She's out in the backyard with some boy. Some boy? Uh, what boy? I don't know who he is, Mr. Gillsleeve. They're just out there sitting in the swing talking. You can see him from the window here. Huh? Where? Let me see, Bertie. Well, I don't like his looks. I'll send him home, that's all. I'll... Gee, wait a minute. Maybe that's young Bullard. Is that who it is, Bertie? I don't know, Mr. Gillsleeve. Leroy might know. Why, George, the kid looks like Bullard. I wonder... Leroy! Leroy here? Yes, he's around somewhere. Leroy! Lee. You calling me, Unc? Yes. Who's that boy out there with Marjorie, you know? That's Marshall Bullard. He came over about half an hour ago. Well, well. Maybe nature's not so bad after all. Huh? Nothing, Leroy. <laughs> That's all, my boy. Okay. Gosh, I thought he wanted me to do something. Oh, Bertie, that's the young man. Marshall. Marshall and Marjorie. Make a fine-looking couple, don't they? They might in a few years. Oh, sooner than that, Bertie. Sooner than that. All right, George, I think I'll just tiptoe out there and see how they're doing. Uh, you like music, Marshall? Yeah. I'm crazy about, about Brahms and Chopin. Do you like that kind of music? Oh, I like classical music, not for a steady diet. Well, I don't want to give you the wrong impression. I'm not exclusively classical. Oh, don't get me wrong, Marjorie. I'm not knocking classical. Oh, no. I love the Basie record of One O'Clock Jump. All his records are great. I think so, too. I, uh, <laughs> saw him in New York once at Radio City. Did you? Gee, I've only heard his records. He looks just like his pictures. Do you like Artie Shaw? I like him. Pretty well. You? Yeah, pretty well. Do you like to read? Oh, I read all the time. Do you like poetry? Uh, pretty well. Oh, brother, they'll never get anywhere this way. <laughs> well, Marjorie, I, I didn't know you were out here. Oh, company. Hello, Uncle Mort. This is Marshall Bullard. This is my uncle, Mr. Gildersleeve. Uh. How do you do, Mr. Gildersleeve? Well, well, my boy. Sit down, sit down. I'm delighted to meet you. Glad to have you in the neighborhood. I guess Marjorie's glad, too. Aren't you, Marjorie? Aren't you, Marjorie? Sure, I guess so. Why don't you sit over there with Marjorie, my boy, and I'll sit on this side. I'm getting a little, uh, stout. Oh, you're not really, Uncle Mord. <laughs> nice girl. That's okay. <laughs> I'll stand up. Stand up? <laughs> you're not afraid of my niece, are you? Oh, Uncle Mort. Huh? Eh... Uh, your dad and I are going to be great friends, uh, Marshall, and we want you to feel at home over here. Thanks a lot, Mr. Gildersleeve. Yeah. Say, why don't you stay for supper tonight? Glad to have you. Oh, no, I don't think I'd better. Why not? Come on, coaxing, Marjorie. Why should I? Marjorie. I think I'd better be going. Mr. Gildersleeve, it's probably my supper time, too. Well, come back afterwards. Oh, we can't tonight, Uncle Moore. Why not? I have to do my homework. Homework? Well, I'll tell you. How'd you both like to go horseback riding tomorrow, huh? <laughs> Do you like horseback riding, Marshall? Uh, I like it pretty well. Well, I've never been on a horse in my life, and you know it, Uncle Mort. Why, Marjorie. Gosh, neither have I. Well, you can learn together. We'll get two nice, gentle horses, and you can take a long ride in the country. I won't do it. Marjorie. You'd better go now, Marshall. Maybe I'll see you around. Huh? Oh, sure. Well, good night. Wait a minute. Uh, good night, Mr. Gildersleeve. There he goes. 
Marjorie, look what you've done. What I've done? You're the stupidest uncle a girl ever had. And you're fat, too. <laughs> you go in the house. I've done anything, I'm sorry. It was all my fault. I guess I just haven't any tact, that's all. I guess I'm just a blundering idiot. I guess I'm just a fat old fool. But you don't have to sit there and agree with me. We were getting along so nicely. Now he'll never come back again. Don't you worry. I'll fix it all up for you. Oh, no. Well, you cheer up right now, young lady, or I will. Oh, no, please. I'll be all right. I'm fine now. I feel wonderful. Promise you won't say anything to Marshall. <laughs> all right. All right, George. Don't tell me I don't know how to handle kids. Good night, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> on this program was directed by Claude Sweet. And this is Ken Carpenter speaking for the Kraft Cheese Company, makers of parquet margarine and a complete line of famous quality food products. Kraft invites you to listen again next week for the further adventures of the Great Gildersleeve. Stay tuned for The Lone Ranger next on Theater of the Mind. Time now for The Lone Ranger and his trusted companion Tonto in a show first aired in 1941. Cloud of dust and a hearty, Ayo Silver, the Lone Ranger.
western United States, outlaws roamed the new territory and defied the forces of law and order. It was not until the masked rider of the plains started his great fight for justice that the honest settlers knew the blessing of peace and security. The Lone Ranger's strength and courage, his daring in the face of danger, and his devotion to the cause of right against might, these were the forces that finally made possible the winning of the West. Return with us now to those thrilling days of yesteryear. Come out of the past, come the thundering hoofbeats of the great horse Silver. The Lone Ranger rides again. Hello, Silver! We're heading for Elkhorn Basin. There's going to be trouble. Hello, Silver! Hooray! <laughs> Day in and day out, Matilda Prindle sat in the rear of her husband's general store, rocking and knitting as Abe waited on their customers. One morning, Tonto, the Lone Ranger's faithful Indian companion, entered the little shop. Abe greeted him and... Good morning to you, Injun. Good morning. How? Oh, now can't you say a few words more? What's your name and where are you from? I reckon you're a stranger in Elkhorn Basin, ain't you? Ah, me stranger... Me, Tonto. Well, Tonto, what do you want? You got sugar? Matilda? Yes, Abe. We happen to have any sugar in stock? Can't tell just yet, Abe. Ask the Redskins something more. <laughs> so you says your name is Tonto, huh? That's mm, right. Now, let me see. What fur did you want this sugar? I wanted the horse. And him fine horse. Likes sugar. Hear that, Matilda? <laughs> It's all right, Abe. We got the sugar. Let him have what he wants. <laughs> <laughs> Thought you'd say that. Ain't no more in the store, though. You'll have to go get some out of the barrel and back. Uh-huh. You savvy, Tonto, my wife says she can't see nothing. Oh, her blind? My eyes can't see, but I reckon I can see a lot with my mind that other folks misses. Uh. When a stranger comes in, she can tell just by his voice whether he's honest or crooked. Yes. Mm, that's heap good. She listens, and if she says we got what that umbre wants, then it means he's all right and his credit is good if he ain't got the cash handy to pay with but if she says he ain't on the level, then he can't get no credit at all. Oh, me pay cash. Cash? Uh. You hear that, Matilda? Abe, you go get that sugar done up before he changes his mind. How much you want? Mm, me want five pounds. Yes, yeah, sure, five pounds. Cash money. Go Sit down if you'd like to, Tonto. Uh. Uh, you're... Hmm? Now, who's this? Uh, who's running this door? I want some tobacco, and I'm in a hurry. Come on, old lady, get up on your feet and start it out. Yes, sir, I'll get it. My husband's busy, but I'll get it for you. I know just where to put my hands on it. Uh, give me two plugs. Ain't been here before, have you? What's that to you? Uh, give me that tobacco and stop the talk. Uh, I'm getting it. Uh, just just second, huh? Well, not there. It's on the shelf below. What's the matter with you, huh? Thought you knew where it was. Can't you see? No. I can't. That's so. Then what rights you got running a store? Body's got to make a living. Here's your tobacco. Uh, thanks. <laughs> Just put it down, huh? I'll pay you next time I'm through this way. Oh, but Mister, reckon I'm... this will teach you how not to be running a store. Please, I maybe next time you. you'll know better. <laughs> well, goodbye and thanks again, old lady. You stop. Well, don't go if it ain't a redskin. What's ailing you, Injun? You not take tobacco. No. Put it back. 
Say, you sure got your nerve, Redskin, talking to me that way. Fair stay in the saddle for I'm tempted to bust you. Why? No. What? I'm to say. Why you? Leave tobacco. I am. You busted. There's a dog on the back. You know, let me go. What's it? All right. You go now. Yeah. Well, I'll see you. Now come. Now you go. No, 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 don't hit me again. I'll... Uh, Just leave me. Pick up my gun. You not pick up gun. You not need it. You go. All right, all right. I ain't gonna fight with no local engine. I'm a going. Uh, here. Here, John. You take it. Gracious sakes alive, Tom. Here's the sugar, is it? What was that shouting I heard? What was all the noise about? Oh, Abe, a crook came in and asked for some tobacco. And when I gave it to him, he wasn't going to pay for it. If it hadn't been for Tonto, he'd have took the tobacco and, and gone. Say, is that so? Um, him, beep gun. You take it. My grave. Abe. What? Oh, Matilde, what's the trouble? This gun. What about it? Abe, Abe, look at it. Tell me what's carved into the handle. My fingers wouldn't lie to me, but tell me. What do Well, I'll be... Is it... Is it... Matilda, this is Kurt shooting at Oh, I knew it. I knew it. It is. His initials. Here they are. Carved just like when he put them there. Our boy. Abe, how did that man get his gun? How could he have took it from Kurt? Do you think maybe... Maybe he killed him? Matilda, are you certain sure it wasn't Kurt that was in here? Oh, no, Abe. That wasn't Kurt. That wasn't my boy. I'd know Kurt's voice anywhere, anytime. I've been hearing it. I've been hearing it every night. <laughs> and whistling to me, just like he used to. I'll never forget the way he used to whistle, Oh, Susanna. No, that wasn't Kurt. Then what did he do with Kurt? If we only knew. Where is Kurt? How would that fella come by our boy's gun? What... What's our boy been doing all these years since since him and me fought? Matilda, if I could only reach him and tell him to come back home, I'd, I'd be the happiest man alive. Tonto left the store and rode to the camp where the Lone Ranger was waiting for him. One glance at the Indian's face and the masked man knew something was wrong. Tonto, I can see you brought news. What is it? A young fellow named Kurt. Maybe him get killed. Kurt? Him son, fella run store. Yes? Him leave home long time ago. Tonto, he must mean Kurt Prindle. Ah. How did you happen to hear about him? Oh, Tonto take gun from fella. Fella get gun from Kurt. Mean he had a gun that had belonged to Abe Prindle's boy? That's right. And you took that gun from someone? Ah. So how did that happen? Oh, him bad fella. Take tobacco from store and not pay. Tonto hit him. I see. Miss Prindle... Her blind. Blind? Mrs. Prindle? Ah. I didn't know that. Not true. Her heap good woman. Everyone speaks well of her. Tonto, the gun you took from that fellow once belonged to Kurt, and it's likely that he knows where Kurt is now. Ah. There's nothing that would make the Prindles happier than to discover his whereabouts. Oh, make him heap happy. This man you had the fight with, did you notice where he went when he left the store? You think you could pick up his trail? Huh, Tonto trail him. And that's what we'll do. Here, Silver. Here, Scout. We'll keep our camp here and return to it when we're finished. Ready? Huh? You ready? Then come. Get him up, Scout. Hail, Silver! The Lone Ranger and Tonto returned to the little store and picked up the trail of the man with whom Tonto had fought. 
Several days later, the same man entered a shack just outside the town of Meredith. Hello, Butch. Hi there, Barton. You made a right quick trip. Yeah. What'd you do while I was gone, Butch? Plenty. Huh? I've been seeing to it we can get away from here in a hurry when we get ready to move on. What'd you learn over to Elkhorn? Yeah, folks over there ain't the kind to ask too many questions. We can hang around there for a little while without no trouble. Good enough. How much you reckon old Mosby keeps in that safe of his? Mm, quite a bit from what I could find out. Likely a thousand, anyhow. You figure we can handle the kid? I can. Where's he at now? In the back room. He's expecting to see you. I told him you'd be wanting to have a talk. Yeah, then I guess I'll get it over with. Might as well see that things are set. Hi there, young fella. Barton. Huh? I've been waiting for you. I want to know just what kind of a game you and Butch are up to. You've been working for Mosby. Well? Before that, you traveled around for quite a spell. What if I did? You done some singing and such in cafes round and about to earn your living. Till you come here and got a steady job. Go on, Barton. Get to the point. Don't worry, Butch, I am. Now, listen, Kurt, you owe me and Butch plenty, and we aim to collect. And Prado. Kurt, you're going to work with us. You're going to open Mosby's safe and take out the cash he's got in there. Like fun, I You're willing, you... Mr. Mosby's been doggone good to me, and I don't aim to double-cross him. Kurt. Huh? Would you rather do like we say, or would you rather... Rather what? Mosby didn't live much longer. You... I mean, you... What we do, we ain't saying. But you ain't so slow. Ought to be able to make a good guess. So which way is it going to be? I, uh... You open the safe and take the cash, and everything will be all right. You've got the combination. But if we try it... Well, there's likely to be shooting. Somebody likely to get bad hurt. If I don't want Mr. Mosby killed. And do like you're told. But but if I did, he'd be bound to know it was me. Nobody else has that combination but him. That ain't no concern of ours. Now, you wait till the night. And when he turns in, you follow orders. But, but, and but if I... you don't... Well, you already know what maybe might happen. Uh, I'll be jailed for a thief. Jacks, <laughs> if you're caught, you can tell him about us if you're a minder. He'd never believe me. Oh, sure he won't, but you can tell him anyhow. I... Take it over, Kurt. While you're thinking, just keep this in mind. Either you open that safe, or Mosby dies. That night, in the room behind Mosby's office, Kurt sat beside his employer. The young man was obviously nervous, and Mosby noticed it. Kurt, uh, uh, what, Mr. Mosby? What's troubling your son? Don't you feel good? Uh, yes, sir, I feel all right. Don't have to serve me, lad. We're friends. You got a home anyplace, Kurt? Yeah, yeah, I got a home. Where? Over the Elkhorn Basin. That close? Why ain't you never rode over there? Pon me had a fight a long time ago, Mr. Mosby. I, I never been back. Oh. Uh, Mr. Mosby. Yeah? How much cash are you keeping in the safe now? <laughs> Worried about it? Well, I don't blame you. There's twelve hundred in that there iron box. If, if, if I asked you something kind of funny, would you promise not to just laugh at me? Huh? I, I wonder if you'd give me the loan of that twelve hundred. <laughs> hey, ain't you getting mighty ambitious? What's up? Uh, found some young lady you got your eye on? Figure to buy a place of your own, get hitched, and uh, settle down? No, that ain't it. What in tarnation? Mr. Mosby, I can't explain, but you'll have to believe me. I just gotta have that cash. Hmm, sounds like maybe you're in trouble. I... Uh... But I ain't gonna ask questions where they ain't wanted. Tell you what I'll do. Give me a little time and I'll think it over. But, Mr. Mosby... Now, lad, nothing valuable was ever lost by taking time on it. Oh, well, reckon I'll say goodnight. I'm getting mighty sleepy. Mr. Mosby, I... Huh? I wish I could tell you. Huh? Tell me what? Never mind. I 
I guess it just wouldn't do any good. The curtain falls on the first act of our Lone Ranger story. Before the next exciting scenes, please permit us to pause for just a few moments. same evening Kurt had tried to borrow Mosby's money, the Lone Ranger and Tonto reached the end of the trail they'd been following. The last man spoke softly to his companion. Tonto, this is as close as we'll take the horses. Ah, horse scout. The trail continues to that shack, all right. Well, about right. I wonder if Kurt could be there. Maybe. Come, we'll go the rest of the way on foot. Oh. Stay here, old fella. There's a light in there, Kimasabi. Smoke coming from the chimney. Mm, somebody there, all right. That window's open. Oh. We'll have a look inside. Here, this way. Two men. Is one of them the fellow you saw at the store? Oh, that's him. There. Tough looking, all right. If that other fellow was Kurt. What do you think? I'm disappointed. He looks as much a criminal as his friend. Oh. Let's keep quiet, Kimasabi. Perhaps we can hear what they're saying. Pardon? Ought to be just about time, eh? What's that? Ought to be just about time, did you hear me? Oh, yeah, yeah. Reckon it is. You figure Kurt will go through with it? Sure he will. He don't much like stealing. No, but neither does he like to think of anything happening to most, but if he don't, he thinks a heap of that old man. Uh, He'd rather go to jail than see us drill, the old fella. Uh, I think he would at that. And if he's cut... Tells the law he robbed a safe just to keep us from shooting his boys. Huh? <laughs> Who's to believe him? Well, no, Butch, I reckon it won't be long till we're splitting that 1,200 between us. <laughs> Did you hear that? Uh, you hear him. We'll have to act fast. Um, what we do? I'm not sure. But first, uh, we're going back to the horses and riding to Mosby's. Come, we'll have to make time. The confidence of the two outlaws was justified. Having waited only long enough to give his employer time to fall asleep, Kurt opened the huge iron safe and swiftly emptied it. A few moments later, he closed it again. Have to hurry. Have to get out of here. Doing this just to save Mr. Mosby, but if he was to catch me, I'd, I'd be like a dirty dog. But Mosby had been made uneasy by his conversation with the young man. He had not gone to sleep as Curtis expected. And when the outer door closed, he rose from his cot and made for the door to his office. I heard something. Somebody was out there. Who could it be? I... The safe, open. The cash gone. Kurt was asking to borrow it. If he sold for me... Kurt, where are you, Kurt? Kurt, where are you? Kurt! Hi, Kurt! 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 Kurt!
Kurt leaving here. He must have taken the money from that safe. Oh. He still it to save that old man's life. Not right. Mosby will never believe him. Tell her there's just one thing to do. It has to be done in a hurry. You've got plans? Martin was just about my size. Uh-huh. He was dressed enough like me for anyone to mistake us to have seen only in the dark. Mm, what you do? I'm going inside there. Do you know where the sheriff's home is? No. Tonto not know. Well, it's next to the last place down this street. And on this side of the street. Uh-huh. Get there as fast as you can. If he's turned in, get him up. Tell him he's wanted at Mosby's office at once. And Tonto do it. Tell him Mosby's been robbed. Uh-huh. That you're certain you saw the thieves head for Barton's place. Let me tell him. All right, then. Go. Uh-huh. Get him up, Scout. Get him up. Get him up. Well, go inside. Yes, What's that, Mosby? Don't move. Who are you? What do you want? You'll never find out. You're here. When I saw you to waken, I came back to warn you. Warn me? Stay where you are, Mosby. Don't come closer. But I want... You're not to go to the sheriff until morning. If you do, well, you'll likely be sorry for it afterwards. Then, then you rob my safe. Go back to bed and keep still about this. My partner and I will be back. There's two of you. And both of us mean what we say. Adios. Hey, wait! The Lone Ranger raced away from Mosby's shack in the night. Meanwhile, following the Lone Ranger's instructions, Tonto rode Scout at full gallop toward the sheriff's home. We get sheriff. Who's got home? Hello? Wake up! Wake up! Thunderation, Sheriff! You come out! For God's sakes, who are you yelling like a Comanche? Hey, Iron Engine! Don't move, Red Skinner! You'll not reach for gun, Sheriff. State your business, Engine. You Make the good or I'll you get horse. You write to Mosby's. Huh? There's no time to wait. You do like Tonto say. Listen, Injun. I've been sheriff of this here town for nigh on to ten years. I got my guns right here. And no owner Injun is going to tell me what to do. You not do like Tonto say. And Tonto act. Hey, don't go. Hide that gold. There. Now me got gun. You do like Tonto say. Don't go, Injun. Where you got horse? Out and back in the corral. Where'd you think? Good. We go to Mosby's. Injun, slack up, will you? Don't go at all. You go. All right. All right, I'll ride with you. But first, I gotta put on my boots. Uh, you get boots fast. They're right here beside the bunk. You hurry up. I'm hurrying. You get boots on pronto. We go to Mosby's. safe of all the cash suppose. A masked gent held a gun on me and said not to move, to go back to bed. Well, I'll be dogged. Injun, I'm right sorry you had to drag me over here because I wouldn't believe you. Uh, your gun, Sheriff. You may be needed. I sure will. Your horse ready, Mosby? Just saddle it up. And, Sheriff, I know just where to head for. You do, huh? Yeah, I couldn't see that hombre's face on account of the mask. But I got a good idea of his size and build, and I know right where he is this very minute. <laughs> The sheriff and Mosby started out with Tonto. And at that very moment, in the shack with Butch and Barton, Kurt had just turned over the stolen money, 
fellas. Now, now will you go away and stay away and never bother Mr. Mosby no more? <laughs> maybe. But but you promised you would. Uh, uh, maybe we'll be staying around and watch you go to jail. Oh, when you... the law catches you, you're going to tell them about us? You said I could. Uh-huh. <laughs> but we've changed our minds. If you do, maybe we won't leave Mosby alone after all. Then I won't tell. I won't say a word. You won't have to worry at all. Just promise you'll leave them be. Sure, kid. We promise. Barton, I reckon this is just about the easiest pickings we ever found. Get your share put away. Uh-huh. So have I. <laughs> All right, kid, I reckon it's time you cleared out of here. Get... What the... A masked man! Don't be a gun, and I'll drill you. You won't do no time. He's got his cover. Up with your hands. What kind of do you want? Just a hold-up? No. Well, then, what do you... One hold-up for tonight is enough. Kurt, take the guns. I... Hurry, man, there's no time to lose. Shoot him, Kurt, shoot him! He's not going to shoot the man who came here to save him from a charge of robbery. What's that? Here's an extra mask. Put it on Barton there. Huh? Go on, go on. But I don't understand. You don't have to. Just do as you're told. Hey, get that mask away from Martin, me. Martin, you stand still. Doggone you. There it is. Good. Now then, listen to me. What? I know the entire truth about this. These men are the real thieves, not you. We never stole no cash. Quiet. Kurt, I'm going to give you a chance to clear yourself. So you can return to your parents who are waiting for you back at Elkhorn Basin. Waiting for me? The quarrel you had with your father has been long forgotten and forgiven. You can make their lives happy again by going home once more. But... I'm a thief. I'm going to be jailed. I can't go home. Do what I say. Huh? Exactly as I say. I don't know. That needn't bother you one moment. Tonto was leading the sheriff and Mosby toward the shack. At a signal from the faithful Indian, they reined in their mounts and. You. You come. This year's Barton Shack, all right. If it was him and that partner of his that robbed you, Mosby, they'll get everything they got coming to them. And that's a promise. That Barton was clever. If it hadn't been for the engine seeing him, the way he disguised his voice back there at my place, I would never have suspected him. Especially masked like he was. All right. Inside. Hike your hands, you crook. Sheriff, wait. It's Kurt. He's gone covered. And that's the man I seen at my office, sure enough. That's Barton. He's still got his mask on. I wasn't near your place. Hey, wait, listen. The both of you shut up or I'll fix you so you can't talk. You'll find all the stolen cash in their pocket, Sheriff. I thought so. Well, that'll send them to jail for a good long time. Oh, wait a minute. Let's get framed. when I told you to shut up. You... That's better. Now, March. You're heading for the lockup. Not you, Kurt. Sheriff can handle them. You stay here and tell me all about it. Several days later at Elkhorn Basin. Matilda. Yes, Abe. You know how sometimes you told me it seemed our boy was real near to you, even if he wasn't? I mean, uh, well, that is... Oh, shucks, you know what I mean. Uh-huh. Well, tonight I... Uh, yes? I feel the same way. I don't know how to explain it, but... I've been thinking about Kurt the whole evening. So have I, Abe. So have I. And I, uh... Matilda, what's that? You hear it? Hear what? That whistling. The tune he's a-whistling. That was always Kurt's favorite tune. And he's whistling just like Kurt always did. I'm going to see who's outside. Oh, Abe, you're just imagining things. It's a stranger. It must be. It couldn't be our boy after all this time. I can't help it, Matilda. I've got to find out. Who is it? Kurt! Ah! Oh, son! My, come back. 
I've come back home, and I've come back to stay. Oh, son, this is the happiest day of my life. And mine, Ma. And as long as I live, I'm going to thank the man who made it possible. Who was he, son? Don't know his name, Pa. All I call him is the masked man. copyrighted feature of the Lone Ranger Incorporated. Thank you for listening. Tomorrow night, it's The Adventures of Sam Spade, followed by Suspense. Thanks to Joel Schoenwell and Paul Stringer for technical support. The executive producer for Theater of the Mind is Moses Neimer. I'm Frank Proctor. Have a great night. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.